Ladies and gentlemen, welcome inside the WSOE studios. I'm Chase Williams. Alongside me, Harrison Klein, Jake Anthony. You're listening to the Legion of Sports podcast. Let's hop right into it. It's a very busy, well, especially Monday of sports. Right now, let's let's talk about the national championship. LSU Tigers, 15-0, won it, 42-25. I mean, really, it was an interesting first half. I'll give it that, but was not the game we were all building up for. Trevor Lawrence, I would say, probably had his worst game in some ways as a pro, but also probably played the most complete team he has. I want. What's your guys' first opinions on it? Uh, so my first reaction is I'm just going to talk about the LSU offense and Joe Burrow. We saw what he did last last night with five passing touchdowns, also a rushing touchdown, put up almost 500 yards through the air and also 60 on the ground. And we just saw him finish off what might be the best passing season in college football history and definitely in recent memory. This year he had the most passing touchdowns in a single season ever, the third most passing yards ever, second best completion percentage ever, eighth most yards per attempt ever, fourth most adjusted passing yards per attempt, and the best passer efficiency rating ever. So all those numbers ridiculous. And we saw in the beginning Clemson was able to contain them for a little bit in pretty much most of the first quarter. And then once LSU and Joe Brady and, and all those guys were able to figure out what uh, they were the Clemson defense was doing. They were able to really get going and pretty much unstoppable after that. We, we saw them just miss opportunities in the beginning that really could have helped them win the game. Um, and as Harrison mentioned, just LSU's offense is probably one of the best offenses that we've seen in recent college football history. Um, all of the numbers that Harrison mentioned with Joe Burrow, but they were also able to run the ball in this game and really just had the Clemson defense guessing on what they were going to do. Yeah, I, I have to agree. The thing that I find interesting is you can really, like, the first, I would say, <laughs> 10 minutes of the game, I believe Joe Burrow had less than 25 yards at that point. So pretty much in a in three and a half quarters, the guy put up 463 yards and five touchdowns. And coming into it, I believe Joe Burrow was very much a very good quarterback. Deserves, I believe, should be the number one pick and will get the number one pick. But... I mean, there's no doubt about it. There's no way you can be like, oh, he's just in the right system right now. Because, like, he did come out as a two-star recruit coming into college, never really got a chance at Ohio State, went to LSU, became the starter. But honestly, like, last like the first year he was the starter, he wasn't that impressive until he did have a very good Fiesta Bowl against UCF. Some people doubted that because it was not a Power 5 team. But he really impressed this year. And granted, these are two of my favorite teams to watch all year. I mean, these are two of my favorite quarterbacks quarterbacks in the whole entire nation I think they are one and two and so I have the question of if they were both going into the draft this year and we're both eligible obviously who would you take number one overall because I still feel like there's a big argument for Trevor Lawrence being number one overall pick over him if that was an opportunity what do you guys think I think that's such a such a tough question because it's hard to look at just last night and if you were to look at just last night it'd have to be Joe Burrow but you have to look at everything they can do and I mean, Trevor Lawrence is a 6'6 prototype quarterback. He can run. He can make pretty much every throw. And, and like, it's hard. I, I I don't really know, honestly, but it may be Trevor Lawrence, but I, I really don't have an answer for that. Um, well, the kind of the eye factor, if you will, would be Joe Burrow from last night. Just his phenomenal performance, and Trevor Lawrence just really wasn't able to match that. Obviously, um, Joe Burrow has a lot more weapons at his disposal, and as you said, he's not a product of that system, but the system does help him. Um, so I would I would take Joe Burrow right now if they were both eligible, but it is a really tough question, and Trevor Lawrence is also a great quarterback. I, I do think, I think it partially comes down to what type of system they're going into, because obviously if if you're number one overall pick and you have an air raid type system, Joe Burrow does make a lot of sense. He's shown that he fit really well in it. But I think when you're looking at 6'6", Trevor Lawrence, just honestly, I, I said it last night to one of my friends and they were like, what the heck? But like, he's a beautiful quarterback. Like he fits everything you would want and some. I, I think Trevor Lawrence would be, still be the pick, even though he had the worst game of his life. But I think that can only help him. Like, Granted, we're saying worst game. He didn't have a turnover last night. I mean, yeah, he went 18 for 37, 234. Those aren't great numbers, no touchdowns, but no interceptions, no fumbles. The The thing that really I wish was different about this game, though, like that I've noticed is the receiving core of Clemson. I mean, you saw T. Higgins for the second straight game miss part of it, having to go back to the locker room. Justin Ross is supposed to be this great 
receiver. I mean, he had an okay game, five receptions, 76 yards, but that's not what you expect compared to when you look at LSU's receivers. I mean, Jamar Chase, nine receptions, 221 yards, two touchdowns. Justin Jeffries, nine receptions, 106 yards. The running back, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, five five receptions, 54 yards. I mean, they were outperformed. I think the receiver was the biggest difference in that game because you knew both of these guys have great arms. And granted, I mean, what, Trevor Lawrence had 13. When I turned the game off mid-fourth quarter, he had 13 overthrows. And at that point, he had 16 completions. That's not great numbers. For the first time, Trevor Lawrence looked a little confused out there having some troubles but granted he's got almost everyone coming back next year the one that's the other thing I took from this game is that Clemson is only going to be stronger next year and that they probably will be in the same situation next year playing on Monday night for the national championship well I think the biggest thing from this game is the adjustments that LSU is both able to make and that Clemson wasn't able to make because we like Jake and I were both saying earlier how LSU struggled a lot early, and Clemson wasn't able to take advantage of that. And then the second LSU made the offensive adjustment, they were, they were able to take over offensively. And then on the defensive side of the ball for LSU, they, they were playing pretty well for most of the game and in the first half, but Clemson was able to score. And then in the second half, they only had, I think, that one touchdown. So they also made the proper adjustments. So I don't know if – I'm not going to say it's better coaching, but LSU definitely made the better adjustments throughout the game, that, and that's one of the reasons that also helped them win. Yeah, for me, I only thought that Clemson had a shot to win the game if they got out to a really good start and were able to put LSU in a hole and um, really score on top of that and not give up a lead. But they missed some opportunities in the beginning of the game and weren't able to get that lead. Um, So it just kind of hurt them even more than if they were to go into that game and it was 0-0 like it was and they missed some opportunities so the momentum was kind of on LSU's side at that point. Even though Clemson, the score was still 0-0 and neither team had scored, I felt like the momentum was kind of fading away even before LSU started to score. You know, Harrison, you talked about the coaching right there. Somewhere in Southern California, all of USC is just kicking themselves for not signing Coach O after that interim season about six years ago. But I do agree. I would say this is the first time where I've watched a Clemson game. And granted, I've seen a few of their losses. Well, I've seen most of their losses under Dabo Sweeney at this point because they don't happen very often. This is the first time I did feel like he got outcoached. And I I mean, granted, LSU, it, I'm, LSU just tore him apart in the second half, especially defensively. I mean, they went down scored on their first drive of the second half and then never scored again. But Clemson can only learn from this. It sucks. Yeah, you just lost out on a national championship. But it's not like they're losing their roster. I think that's so big for Clemson. They're coming back as one of the most experienced teams in the nation next year. And LSU, really, it's weird because you would think like we're, we would be talking about potential LSU dynasty. And granted, I still think that could happen. They have great coaches. They have a lot of young players. But they're losing their star in Joe Burrow. I mean, there's so much. There's more question marks about LSU coming out of this game than there are Clemson. What are your expectations for not just next season, but like the next few years? Because it's easy. It could be easy. You saw this happen when Les Miles came to LSU. They had a really early on great season, won the national championship in 2007, and then they fizzled out. And seven or eight years later, Les Miles got let go. So, what do you guys expect from these two? And not just next year, but further down the road. Well, I think just starting with next year, you look at Clemson and they have to be the favorite to win the national championship right now because with some, you know, possible declares for the draft still, they have seven returning starters on both offense and defense. The most important position, quarterback, Trevor Lawrence is coming back. Their star receiver, Justin Ross, is coming back. And as of now, they have the number one recruiting class in the nation. And, I mean, they still have Dabo Sweeney. So it's hard to say that they're not the the favorites right now to win it all next year and I mean I don't see them going away anytime soon they played in the national championship like four of the past five years or something winning two of them so they're clearly a top two maybe the best program in the nation right now and I don't see them going away anytime soon well yeah and luckily for Clemson they play in the ACC so they're going to get um, attention no matter how their season goes and their competition isn't as high as let's say the SEC or some of the other conferences in the NCAA but 
I, I would agree that they're going to be back again and again and again because Dabo Sweeney is a very good coach, and we've seen this in the past. It doesn't quite matter who the quarterback is or who, what players are there. He'll plug in certain players, and um, despite giving up 42 points last night, I mean, that's one of the best offenses in the recent history, so I don't think that's a bad defensive performance. I mean, they've LSU, that's close to their season low in terms of points because yeah, I want, they I, scored so many points over the season, but... Um, yeah, I think Clemson, as Harrison mentioned, has a lot of players coming back, and they should be at the top of college football, or at least near the top for many years to come. Talking about that being honestly one of LSU's quote-unquote poorest offensive games this year, I mean, LSU beat every single team in the top four preseason rankings by an average of at least 21 points. I mean, Honestly, Clemson was above that average, played better than that average in some ways. And, you know, we do talk about the ACC being a quote-unquote, like, easier, softer schedule, and they're right. But, I mean, next year Clemson will be slightly more battle-tested. I mean, UNC will have – they have Sam Howell. They have Mac Brown as their coach. They'll be good next year. They should be really good. I mean, people are talking about Howell as – very, very quietly as a Heisman contender. But granted, I remember after the Peach Bowl, one of my favorite Instagram pages that follows college football actually said, watch out for Joe Burrow next year. He said the same about Howell this year. And so I think they'll be good. I mean, Virginia Tech is historically normally a pretty good football uh, program. They're coming back. There's, a, I think the ACC is definitely on the sw- swing up, which is good for Clemson because they will come into the college football championship more battle-tested next year, assuming that they can get there. I mean, who knows what will happen? We've seen a crazy, crazy seasons the past few years. We don't know what happened. But overall, I I just – this game, to wrap it up, I would say this game was disappointing to me. I was hoping for a really good thrill. And, I I mean, I turned I turned the game off with 10 minutes left to watch The Bachelor with my friends. Um, So, like, it just – it wasn't what we wanted. And that's really disappointing. I don't know about you guys, but I was disappointed. And, and at least in the second half of football because, really, it felt like Clemson came out, scored, and then they got scored on right away. But it wasn't out of reach. But it felt like they just gave up at that point. And then there's a targeting call. It, it it was a disappointing national championship, in my opinion. I just think that, like you said with Trevor Lawrence, how he's battle-tested now, and like you said earlier, he had 13 overthrows last night, and his pre- previous career high was only five. And we really don't see Clemson down that much, and like you said, Jake, in the ACC. And he, he was getting a little flustered. He didn't make all the throws. He was rushing it a little bit. And they contained him as a runner, which we saw Ohio State was definitely not able to do. And... That hurts when you lose. Like that was that's been a big part of their offense, especially the past few weeks. So losing that hurts. And then overall, he had a QBR of just thirty eight last night compared to Joe Burrow's eighty six. So definitely a disappointing game from Trevor Lawrence in a, on a stage where most people expected them to thrive again. Yeah, for me, uh, LSU's ability to contain the run was really key because, as you just mentioned, he those overthrows. A lot of them would have occurred in the Ohio State game if they were able to protect him in the pocket and keep him from running. But LSU was able to do that, and obviously there were some overthrows in terms of Trevor Lawrence. But in general, I would say that Trevor Lawrence um, is, as you guys mentioned, battle-tested now, and he's going to have an even more, even better season next year. And um, I think that Clemson could just keep this rain going at the top of college football. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And they have advantage over most of the other teams. I mean, LSU, Alabama, Georgia are all going to have three new quarterbacks in their system where Trevor Lawrence will now have played, I believe, 25 games, will be 24-1 and as a starter, one loss being to, I mean, arguably the best offense. I, I Probably the best offense I've seen in my lifetime. Like, I, I can't. Maybe one of those Oregon offenses was better, but they had the offense and the defense in this LSU Tigers. Team. Even Kirk Herbstreit, the ESPN announcer, said this is the best offense he's ever seen. Yeah, I mean, it was just, it's impressive. Like, I've never really been like, wow, I want to watch LSU because they've been more, I feel like, a defensive team. Like, you think about how the best defensive player always gets number seven. You feel like that'd be more of an offensive thing to do. They do nor- historically focus on defense and, like, Coach O, I mean, he's really, truly a defensive coach. But they just, uh, they're beautiful on both sides of the ball. Both of these teams were fun to watch all year. It's disappointing they couldn't make a fun game. But I think now we're ready to switch over to the Astros. I mean, the Astros are 
honestly were the talk of yesterday, even after that national championship for me. Um, I'm not much of baseball guys. I'll let you guys take over this one and really take the front uh, front seat. So for those of you that don't know, the Astros were involved in the biggest cheating scandal ever pretty much in baseball where essentially what they did is they used a center field camera and they relayed and that center field camera was wired to a, a, a monitor right behind the dugout in the pathway between the dugout and the clubhouse. And someone would be sitting on that right by the monitor. They would decode the signs and then they would bang a trash can. And I have a question. So was it a player or a coach? It was, doing this? it was like a lower level staff member. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And I think some of the players might've been back there too, helping decode it, but the players were definitely very involved. And so the staff member would bang on the trash can a certain amount of times for an off speed pitch. And if he would, and if it wasn't an off speed pitch, he wouldn't um, bang it. So you would know what pitch is coming in. In baseball, it's gamesmanship if you're sitting on second base and you can read the signs and you relay it to the batter. But if you're if you're stealing the signs using technology, that's as bad as it gets because these hitters literally knew it was coming every single time. And you even look at their home road splits, especially in the 2017 season, where these guys' batting average and, and just offensive stats were so much better at home. And so MLB Commissioner Rob Manfred came out yesterday and he had a nine-page report talking about it. And the punish and he released the punishment for the Astros. So the manager, AJ Hinch, was suspended for a year basically for just not stopping it. And he knew about it. He he said he didn't condone it, but he he didn't stop it. So that's on him. The GM who claimed he didn't know about it, even though he got emails about it, was also su- suspended for a year. The team was fined five million dollars. They were stripped of a first and second round pick for the twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one season. And subsequently after that the owner fired both the GM and the manager wanted to wipe the slate clean. And I know with the $5 million fine, the reason that there was a $5 million fine is because the rules inside the MLB handbook say you can't fine anymore. Yeah, that's the maximum fine. I bet it would be a lot more, especially in a place where there is no salary cap like baseball. Yeah. And the the thing that comes out of all of this for me is, like, honestly, we don't see these major league sports really have these – like issues. I mean, you've seen it in football with the Patriots, but it felt very like it feels just very immature. Like honestly, and the other thing that questions me is like I've seen the videos of like the banging on the trash can. Like it's a random camera inside the stadium is from the viewpoint where you see, it, and it's this loud banging noise. Like, how did this not get caught right away? Is my question. I'm really impressed. As sad as it is to say that I am impressed about this, I'm impressed they got through. Got a away with it for so long well i think part of it is just the fact that it started at the top as much as the general manager wants to claim that he didn't know about it as harrison mentioned there was talk in the report about him getting emails and having adequate knowledge of this scandal in general so i think part of how it didn't get caught at all is because the entire organization or at least most of the organization was all in to try to which is not right at all, but they were all in trying to steal these signs from the opposing team at their home stadium to gain an advantage. Um, there was a report on ESPN talking about um, this scandal, and it was it's claimed that AJ Hinch has or had previously broken some of the monitors. So, as even though he didn't stop the operation, I think that he has a chance to coach or manage in baseball again, only because it wasn't completely on him, unlike the general manager and some of the other top executives in that organization. But it just really kind of stains their recent history as they've been so dominant. And now it, it goes over to the Red Sox as well, who were successful in uh, the next year, in 2018, um, with a member that was in the Houston organization during their 2017 Yeah, wasn't title. wasn't Alex Correa the one that was really, quote-unquote, the mastermind behind this? Yeah, so in the report, they basically said that Alex Cora was the staff member that was most heavily involved in this, and it was it was Carlos Beltran, was, he, who was a, a player of the Astros at the time, who's now the manager of the Mets, which, which also, like, throws another wrench into all of this, but he was pretty much the player that spoke up the most and was like, we need to do a better job of cheating, basically, which is ridiculous. And Alex Cora was the one who basically set the whole thing up, and he was like the mastermind behind this. So that's another level to this, where the Red Sox are also under investigation for cheating, but Alex Cora is supposed to get a pretty big uh, suspension for this. 
People are even talking about maybe a possible lifetime ban for him. But after the Astros fired A.J. Hinch and if Cora gets a bigger suspension, I would be pretty surprised if Alex Cora even keeps his job after this. Yeah, I, you mentioned the possibility about Hinch coaching again, in your opinion. Do you think either of these guys, Harrison, have a chance at being really on the baseball field ever again, be any part of a baseball organization again? So I think that A.J. Hinch does, and I'll get back to that to that in a second I don't think Alex Cora does or I think he definitely has a very small chance because if he's the mastermind behind all this you don't want to bring this culture into your clubhouse when there's evidence that he did it definitely in 2017 when the Astros and they're under investigation now but he at least it, it seems like he did something with the Red Sox in 2018 oh, to no help doubt. them win a, win a championship so I'd be shocked if he's back the reason I think AJ Hinch has a chance and like you said Jake we're he just broke the monitors, and the reason he suspended is because he didn't stop it. And, that, that, I mean, that doesn't really make much sense to me. Why would he just smash the monitors and not stop it in general? But, I mean, that's another story. I just think that he's a good enough manager that he didn't do anything bad enough that I think he will get another chance one day. Yeah, and like like you just mentioned, like him breaking the monitors is a step, but it's clearly not stopping the entire process. Exactly. I do kind of – can condone him away for breaking the monitors only because that is such a small way to stop it but the entire organization seems to be corrupt so I'm not sure if the manager could have done anything besides come to the public and really rat out his organization at the time I'm not sure if there's anything that he could have done and except take extreme action that would have stopped this within the organization because they were so corrupt throughout this scandal yeah so what also Commissioner Manfred said in the report is that in the end he was basically saying how there's there's a very toxic environment in the Astros organization they're very they're not well run right now and there's also a scandal after the World Series where they had to fire their assistant general manager because he made remarks to some woman about a player they acquired that um, was involved in a sexual assault scandal he was fired for that so they've been involved in a lot of stuff like this recently so clearly something's wrong and I do give credit to the owner for firing both the GM and the manager. And I mean, I I think firing the GM is a very big deal and that'll be a big deal for the Astros because he's the one, I think he took over in 2011 and he, the Astros were such a terrible organization. They had a bad farm system. They were a terrible team. And he basically built that roster from the ground up and they became a championship team. And I mean, cheating or not, they have some ridiculously talented players on yeah, the team. Yeah, that's true. I, I read somewhere someone said the sad thing about this is even if they didn't do all of this, they probably had the most talented team in 2017 and could have won the World Series no matter what. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, they have a ton of talent anyway, and he's the one who has built this organ- this, he's built this championship team. So I think that will definitely be the biggest loss for them because the thing about managing and managing in, t- in baseball today it's so analytically driven that managers don't have as many choices as they used to. They don't use the eye test like they would in the in the 90s and early 2000s. There was a lot of talk when the Yankees fired Joe Girardi in 2017. He basically had a binder in the dugout telling him in what situation to do what, and that that's pretty much all around in baseball today. And while the manager is still a big job, it's not as big as it used to. So I don't think losing Hinch is as big of a loss as people think. And like I don't think the Astros are going to go anywhere. We'll just see how they are without cheating, finally. Uh, go ahead. So I had uh, two key things to mention. The first one was um, the fact that Aaron Judge finished second in MVP voting in 2017, and Jose Altuve, who was a second baseman for the Houston Astros, finished first and won the MVP. So without these sign stealings and the cheating, I'm not entirely sure that he would take home this MVP trophy only because, let's say, there's 10 at-bats that he doesn't get a hit because of the scandal. That could be enough to, if two of them are home runs and the other two are doubles, then that could be enough to take away the MVP trophy. Totally, yeah. I mean, And then the other one was when um, the Los Angeles Dodgers had a 3-1 lead in Houston, and Houston was able to rally at home and beat that game and eventually come back and win the World Series. And a lot has been... I guess you could say, um, claimed that Clayton Kershaw is not a very good postseason player, partly because of his performances against the Astros in recent history. And this game is just completely stained now because it was in Houston and this scandal was in full effect and they were clearly cheating during this game. So I don't think it's fair to those two players and a lot of 
the other organizations in baseball at all that Houston was able to pull this off for two or three years. Yeah, so, well, now my Yankee bias is going to show a little bit with both <laughs> of those points, but Aaron Judge, he lost the 2017 MVP, and I've seen some pictures recently of, of comparing Altuve to Judge's stats. Even with the cheating, Judge got, he had better numbers anyway, so Judge should have won MVP <laughs> in my book. I'm just going to say that, but you're right in that who knows what Altuve's numbers would have been, and Judge actually had a picture that he posted on Instagram that he congratulated Altuve to win that for winning the MVP. He deleted that yesterday, so he's clearly frustrated with the whole thing, and so are all the Yankees. And then your other point, how the Dodgers lost the World Series, the Yankees went to seven games in the ALCS that year with the Astros, and all four games in Houston they lost. So who knows what happens there? And I mean, I'm not saying the Yankees would have won the World Series, but there's there's a big effect that comes from their cheating and we, we we don't know what would have happened in 2017 and and I mean 2018 with the Red Sox too the Dodgers and the Yankees both lost them again so there, there's a big effect from this whole cheating thing and it, it goes bigger than just the Astros yeah I agree with that um me as like an outside perspective because I'm again not too deep into the baseball knowledge but like one thing I know is AJ Hinch at least after a World Series game this year or maybe it was sometime more recently kind of laughed off the idea that they were ever cheating so like that almost evens out it for me with the whole him crushing the monitors because like then he just starts covering and like maybe this is just me and like thinking life morals in general but like if i know there's cheating going on inside like i'm a coach or a manager gm whatever i'm i'm gonna snitch my own team out because i don't think that is fair like especially like that just like that sucks on so many levels for the other teams. I mean, you see the, the frustration of Yankees players, fans, probably everyone inside that organization. Yeah. And I mean, the Dodgers two straight years they went up against teams that have alleged cheated and beat them. I mean, who knows? Maybe they have two rings in the last three years of his, and because of that, so it's tough. I definitely feel like the GM has no chance at ever being a GM again. And AJ Hinch, I think it will be at least a a solid five or so years before you see him coach again is what I was originally thinking. But then you think about Bill Belichick and the Patriots. They've been kind of caught. I mean, it's, it's messy with the Patriots, especially, but like maybe it's because it happened later in his career. There's no doubts if he got released by the Patriots today that someone would pick him up within 20 minutes. I mean, there are probably teams that would fire their coach to pick up Bill Belichick. So I do think probably A.J. Hinch has a career, and it's probably coming sooner than I would think it should. But going back to the Red Sox, we'll see what happens. My guess is we probably saw the Astros get the quote-unquote death penalty of MLB like you saw with Penn State football a few years ago. Who knows, maybe again we'll see in the upcoming weeks what's happening there. But um, just I think you'll see the um, – not the Patriots. The Red Sox get a very similar hit. Well, I, don't, I just have a question. Do you guys think that the penalty was enough for the Astros or no? It's so hard because, like, for instance, the players seem to have a big involvement in this, obviously, as they would with what's gone on. And – uh, the MLB said they won't punish any of the players, mainly because a lot of them, I feel like, aren't on the Astros anymore. So, like, if you punish them, you're not just punishing them, but you're punishing teams, and who knows who was truly in it, and who was who knows what could have been happening in that uh, clubhouse. But, like, Carlos Beltran, I feel like more could have happened, because I thought, when I saw that $5 million fine, I was like, ah, uh, that's, that's nothing, especially in baseball with no salary cap. But like it, then I learned it was the maximum. I feel like I, because it's major league. I feel like it's harder to like do as much about like in college, like when there's a death penalty, you're not allowed bowl games or postseason. Like it's hard to be like, oh, Astros, you know what? You guys can go 160, 162 and 0 next year, and we're not gonna let you make the playoffs, like because these guys are getting paid for all this stuff. I feel like there should have been more, but I don't know what more they could have done. The only thing is I can think of draft picks, maybe more draft picks. Yeah, it is a tough position because, as Chase just mentioned, there is a cap on that fine that they can give them, unfortunately, in the handbook for the MLB. And as you mentioned again, you can't really – you don't have as much leeway in terms of punishment that you would have in the NCAA. We've seen teams um, such as Louisville get their title taken away, and on the record books, like on the official – 
books, they don't have a title. The Astros will always have this title because the MLB can't take that title away. So it's tough to really punish them adequately. But And I I, I, want to mention on that really quickly. We, as a generation, will probably always think of that title as not truly a title. But it's also not going to be at the point where we sit down our kids one day and tell them this story and be like, you better not think this Astros. Like, 50 years from now, it's just going to be another title, which is sad. I feel like it shouldn't be that way. Go ahead. I just had to mention that. And I think it really compares to the uh, steroid scandals back in the late 1990s and early 2000s where hitters such as Barry Bonds and Terry Maguire were kind of stained in their reputation and their records. And they still hold those records, just like the Astro will still have a World Series title in 2017 for the eternity of time because they can't have that taken away from them. But it is kind of like... It does have an asterisk next to it, and not Definitely. not officially, but in terms of how everybody's going to look at that. Oh yeah, baseball fans forever. I think even as a baseball player, you can't look into the Astros the same. Like I would never sign with the Astros now, for example. So I think that as far as the penalty, I think they did everything right except. So w- the reason that they none of the players are suspended is because they basically gave the players full immunity for their testimony. And Oh, that is true. Like, if that's something they had to do, then I get it. But it's just frustrating as a fan because you see all these players that basically got away scotch-free for cheating, winning a World Series, and the manager lost a job, the GM lost a job, and that's pretty much it. Like, they're going to lose two draft picks, but... Four in, draft picks because it's oh, yeah, one yeah, and sorry, two. Four draft two picks, yeah, but yeah. that won't impact them six, seven years down the road. Like... I would have liked to see something else that would impact them right now. And I think what a lot of people are saying is the owner pretty much get, got everything he wanted. Sure, he had to fire his manager and GM, but he's still sitting there with a World Series ring, and he's all happy. And I think that's true. another thing, the one thing I disagree with what you said is that, like you said in 50 years, like talking to our kids about this, I think this is something that will always be remembered. And like we still, like people still talk about the Black Sox scandal and that was in 1919. That was thought as that the was, biggest yeah. baseball scandal before this. And this is right up there with it. And, I mean, that was eight guys on a team intentionally losing. I think this might just be as bad as that, or if not worse. I think and it's worse, yeah. I, yeah, like I think this is something that will always be remembered. And I, I think that 2017 title will always be tarnished. Because the So the Black Sox scandal, they pretty much got paid to throw the games yeah. correct so i mean in that case it's not like you can be like oh they were the champion they don't deserve it the thing is like the only reason i had even thought about the black Sox as we're recording this is because i have biggest sports scandals black Sox to bounty gate as an ad on my computer right now yes to i believe to like true baseball fans like 50 years down the road and this is who it does matter to in all fairness they will know and they'll be like yeah like whatever it's the Astros they don't they didn't deserve that title but to like I am a big sports fan but it's more focused on basketball in 50 years like if my kid's the same way I don't think he'll ever like I mean I know about those steroid scandals and it does like I think about it a little bit and like question those players but like it's also like not like how if it was like LeBron James doing something like I would like rest of my life be like LeBron James, come on. Like, I I agree that for baseball fans, more big baseball fans, it will be a bigger deal. It's just interesting because you think of professional sports, at least in our, like, generation hasn't really had these issues besides the Patriots. And it's something you see all the time in college sports. So I just feel like it's feels very immature that, like, we're even having this. It's sad that even with this professional, quote-unquote, of college sports is that we have these issues and we're going to see it again in the next few years with whatever came out about Penn State today, which we'll probably talk about at some point when there's more dry and clean information on that. Yeah, and I just think to wrap this all up, it's going to be interesting to also, like we said earlier, to see the repercussions on it. What's going to happen with Alex Cora and the Red Sox? And then Carlos Beltran was said to be pretty much as player-driven as it was. He was probably the biggest proponent as a player of it so are the Mets going to fire him already what are they going to do if because if the Red Sox fire their manager are the Mets going to be the only ones that let their manager that was involved in this just just manage a team do you want to bring that energy in there and I mean everyone loves Carlos Beltran that's the reason he got the job but that'll be that'll be interesting to see how that all falls 
Yeah, and it'll be it'll be really interesting to see how Houston recovers from this in terms of the culture. I think they'll hire their new manager and GM from the inside of the organization as stained as it is right now because that's normally how it goes. Yeah. Um, but it, it's going to be really tough for them to, as you mentioned, the free agents. I mean, they they don't want to come there right now. Nobody wants to get drafted there right now, and it's really a tough tarnished environment and i it's going to take a lot of work to fix that culture but i'm interested to see how they go about that and how they approach that i i i have to disagree on them i just i think they're complete idiots if they sign people from inside the organization i understand why you say that but like that's not gonna like even if it does like fit they clean up the culture whatever as a player, I'm still going to question it if that's the general ma- manager and manager for the next 20 years. Like, I'll be like, they were still inside the organization while this happened. Like, well, well, the favorite to be their manager right now wasn't there in 2017. Okay, so, so that's, so yeah, be I, would, I would give it, that would be a very big difference if it was before or after, like, yeah. when they joined the organization. And uh, Cora, that's, the, I feel like he's done for. Like, I really yeah. do. I... The one thing that connects me to baseball is David Ortiz. I really enjoy him or enjoyed him while he played. And so, like, I don't want to – I mean, I am a Red Sox fan because I have enjoyed them, but I would still enjoy seeing them throw out a lifetime ban to uh, Alex Cora because, like, I mean, he does deserve it. As as tough as that would – it would probably be different if I really, really cared about baseball, but I think even if he doesn't get, like – a lifetime ban from the MLB, he'll be blacklisted like you see Colin Kaepernick probably is in the NFL and stuff like that. I think, I mean, I think he's done for no matter what. This past weekend, we had a few uh, conference championship games. Let's start off with the AFC championship. Titans at Chiefs. The Chiefs came away with the 35-24 victory. What are your guys' initial thoughts on the game? So I had a few big takeaways from this game. And, I mean, I think the first and most obvious one is just Patrick Mahomes is – unbelievable he showed again just he's the best quarterback in this league and he's a superstar he can basically will his team you know whatever they we saw them last week down 17 nothing early against the Texans down 10 nothing early this week both times they come back and just dominate offensively he 294 yards three passing touchdowns and then added it with 53 rushing yards and an unbelievable touchdown run and and, I mean if he's running the football too it's this offense is so impossible to stop yeah, and just adding to that, it, we're finally seeing a healthy Patrick Mahomes, and it's really exciting to watch because, like Harrison mentioned, he's probably the best quarterback in the NFL right now, and he's playing like it. And my biggest takeaway from this game was the Titans' game plan as it changed in the second half. It was only a four-point game at halftime, and even after a scoreless third quarter, it was still a four-point game. And they abandoned the run, which I did not think was very smart of them to do as um, Derrick Henry only in 19 carries something that we hadn't seen in their two playoff loss or two playoff wins so far he had about 30 carries in each of those wins so I didn't think that they had a very good formula for success even though they were behind Um, but overall I just think that Kansas City was the better team and they played like it throughout the whole game. Yeah, um, I agree with that. Derrick Henry got a little bit less of a load. Um, personally, I kind of – I didn't expect him to get less of a load, but he had more of a game I expected. As I know as we were talking about this game last week, both of you guys – I, I don't want to say really thought Tennessee was the fi- favorites in this game because obviously they weren't the favorites, but like they had a lot of momentum going into this game. I just felt like at some point Derrick Henry was going to have a down game and I figure the Chiefs have just so many big play potential players. I I just couldn't see the Titans winning it. And you're right. I mean, the Titans did go up 10-0. And that, that shocked me. That actually concerned me a little bit because I feel like I wouldn't say this is obviously not a career-defining game for Patrick Mahomes this early in his career. But going to like your first two years as a starter against the AFC Championship last year, they choked it this year if they just get blown out by a team where they have so much more talent than them i that was really going to hurt like that is that those are two games where honestly if i'm like a gm i'm thinking like we might need to restructure this game but i'm this team 
So I was really impressed with the Chiefs. I had full faith in the Chiefs until I saw that score at 10 nothing. I actually wasn't even going to watch the game and then had other things going on. And then I saw it was 10 nothing. I had to turn it on. And honestly, Patrick Mahomes, I always I've felt like he was injured and that's why he wasn't having as good of a year. But he proved to me that I am right in believing he's the best quarterback right now in the NFL. And I don't think either of you two would argue that. I don't think really anyone would. But honestly... I just, something about the Chiefs, I hate to say it, but I really enjoy watching them. And that game, it just, it proved it to me. I really like Patrick Mahomes. I think he is the future of the NFL. And honestly, like, I felt he had a really good game. And he was just under 300 yards, but it, it just felt like he was on another level than any everyone else on the field. And honestly, like, I, I think... I think the NFL is happy there in the Super Bowl, honestly. Like, I don't know about you guys, but I feel like the Chiefs are definitely the team that brings the ratings up. Because, like, the Titans, honestly, like, nobody wants to see them hand it off to Derrick Henry 30 times and take up possession. Like, that's not a fun Super Bowl, especially after last year. I think they needed the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. But, um, honestly, like... Were you guys impressed with the Chiefs' defense? Because obviously we've talked about how it can be very lackluster. And I felt like they had some good moments. But also, like, they did give up 24 points to the Chiefs. I mean, not to, to the Titans. And I feel like that shouldn't happen if you have a tired. Like, if, if Derrick Henry only has less than 70 yards, I feel like that shouldn't happen. So what's your opinions on the Chiefs' defense going into the Super Bowl? I mean, I, for the most part, I, I liked what I saw from the Chiefs' defense. Obviously, they got down early, but... I know Derrick Henry only 19 carries, but, I mean, holding him to 69 yards, he only averaged about three and a half yards per carry. He d- he just didn't have a good game, and in the second half, five carries for seven yards. So th- they did a good job, and I think getting Chris Jones back helped a lot. And this is a defense that, as worrisome as they were last year and earlier in the year, we've seen constant improvement from them this season, especially the last four or five weeks of the regular season. So I, I-, I like where they're at right now, and, I mean, with this offense, you don't. It's not like you need an unbelievable defense, but they have a good enough defense. I mean, around them that they definitely have a shot to win the Super Bowl. Yeah, I was definitely impressed with their defense, and not not only their defense in general, but their run defense in specific. Uh, I was a little concerned when Frank Clark uh, openly criticized Derrick Henry. I thought that was going to aggravate him and maybe force him to have an even better game than he would have. But obviously, that didn't happen, and it kind of offset because he did come out and criticize him openly but they did end up stopping him Um, but I was impressed didn't expect him to have less than 70 yards Um, that's Derrick Henry and um, Ryan Tannehill threw the ball 31 times they were forced to throw the ball um, which is not something they wanted to do so I really impressed with uh, the schemes they drew up and the way that they play defense overall because like you said Chase earlier that they were down 10 points or, or they were up 10 points early, the Titans, and um, should have had a formula to run the ball and maybe keep control of the game. But the Chiefs defense was able to put up some stops. And obviously they have a juggernaut of an offense that put up enough points to win the game. But yeah, I was really impressed with their defense. And I'm excited to see them take on the really impressive rush offense for San Francisco next week, or yeah. in two weeks. The the quote you're talking about where Frank Clark said that Derrick Henry is quote-unquote not hard to hit. I mean, that was a big quote coming off when Derrick Henry's had two straight games of 150-plus yards. One of them, at least, was very close to 200. But what I found interesting, I, I mean, we're talking about this defense. We're impressed with it, but I still feel like there's definitely holes in this defense. It's, I mean, we came into this game with concerns, so there's clearly still concerns there. There's been concerns all year. They have some very good players on this defense, but I feel like there's holes around those players, and that's why I, I feel like, honestly, we're, this is the best chance we're seeing at the next dynasty. I think some people think it's the Ravens with the – Lamar Jackson just because of all he can do but I I think Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs just because there's offensive weapons all over the place like I mean uh, Lamar Jackson's Tyreek Hill is uh Hollywood what's his why can't I think Marquise of his name Brown. Marquise Brown thank you um and like granted I just I don't see those two on the same level I think I think Tyreek Hill is a better player than Marquise Brown and I think Patrick Mahomes is a better player than Lamar Jackson but I feel like the one thing the Ravens have over them is the defense, but I feel like if they build up this defense and fix those holes, we're going to see a Chiefs dynasty for the next 10 years. 
I think this Super Bowl is going to be great because the Niners are a very entertaining team. And after the game, Frank Clark said that they have the quote-unquote best defense in the world right now. Now, I don't know about you guys. I just don't believe that I because I've been talking about those holes. It's very interesting, but I do agree with you guys that the defense, I would say they played one of their better games this year. I mean, 24 points, it felt like a lot. But really, if you take out that first quarter, they played really well. I mean, they gave up 10 in the first quarter. But sometimes, you know, you start slow. Like, I don't I don't blame them too much. What – finally, like, I just want – what are your real, realistic expectations from this team? What do they need to work on in these next two weeks before the Super Bowl? What holes do you think they need to try to, like, close up as much as they can to have a perfect game plan for the Super Bowl? Uh, well, real quick before I answer that, I just think – that another big takeaway from this game is that we saw like the Ravens. They're a team that, even though Lamar Jackson had a good passing season, they're a running football team and they're they predominantly yes. a running team. And we saw Derrick Henry and the Titans were a running team. And there were a lot of quotes recently about maybe the NFL isn't you know a passing league and you don't need a pass to win. But I think these past two games where the Ravens lost and the Titans lost, it shows that you need to pass to win in this league and you can't win a Super Bowl with only running the football because once these running teams get down in the game then they're they don't have I mean even they take Lamar, too much time to come back yeah That's and, part of the and Lamar Jackson's a good quarterback but if you know he's gonna throw it he's not an unbelievable thrower of the football like he's so good because he has that threat to run that is but true. if you know that he's gonna pass he's not gonna overwhelm you and same with Ryan Tannehill he's not gonna overwhelm you either so I think that was just another big takeaway I just wanted to bring up um, so I think just defensively for the Chiefs, the holes that they got to fill, they're going to have to figure out a way to stop this 49ers run defense because I know we're going to talk about it with this next game coming up, but the 49ers have an unbelievable running attack that might even be better than the Titans, so they're going to have to figure that out. But then offensively, I don't really know what the Chiefs have to do better there. Maybe I, run it with the running backs a little better, but, I mean, offensively they, they look as good as anyone right now. Well, on defense, uh, the Chiefs really have to focus on that rush defense that you were talking about. They, As we talked about earlier, they did a great job against Derrick Henry, but the 49ers have three different running backs that um, will lead to fresh legs, and they could all do the same job that Derrick Henry can do, if not a little better, since they'll have those fresh legs and they can rotate in. Um, but the other problem that they're going to face next week is that they're going to um, have to deal with Jimmy Garoppolo, who, although he's not the best quarterback in the world, he is an upgraded version from Ryan Tannehill that they faced this week. So I think that's a little concerning for the Kansas City defense. They didn't have to worry too much about the pass, even though they, um, even though the Titans threw it 31 times, they didn't necessarily have to worry about it too much, as they knew what they were getting at with Ryan Tannehill across the field. Um, but they, yeah, yeah I, I agree. On offense, there's. I don't think there's much they really need to work on. Andy Reid is a phenomenal offensive mind. I mean, he just makes they, – they have these brainstorms where he, he just makes up plays that shouldn't work and they make them work. And you, you can see some of that on Sundays where they just come up with these ridiculous plays that really don't belong on the football field traditionally, but they end up working and they get them – get the receivers open, move Patrick Mahomes out of the pocket, and really start the game off from the beginning. And they just build that game plan. I mean, 35 points is not a lot for them um, this past week. And Tennessee has a good defense, but San Francisco has a much better defense. And that front four is going to get to Patrick Mahomes, and that's a little concerning. Yeah, you mentioned Ryan Tannehill, 31 passing attempts. That's, I mean, that's a decent amount. I'd say that's about average for a balanced team. I wouldn't say Tennessee is a balanced team, so that's probably a little bit more than they usually want to throw. But with those 31 attempts, you know what to expect. I mean, it's not like you're facing Patrick Mahomes where you might just see him throw a 60-yard tutty out of nowhere. Um, but I agree. I it, My thing I think they have to focus on is they need to get some pressure on Jimmy Garoppolo. I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo is still kind of a younger quarterback. I don't He's not necessarily a younger quarterback, but a less experienced quarterback. I mean, he hasn't had that many starts playing a big game. I mean, we'll talk about the – I mean, we've already kind of talked about the Niners, but, like, he threw, what, eight pass attempts this past week? I mean, he did not have to do anything. We'll see how he plays in a big game scenario where the whole world is watching. I mean, the pressure is bound to get to him. And so if the Chiefs can somehow get – even more like get some actual pressure on him I think there's a good chance that that could be their key to success next week we'll talk about that a little bit but let's move on to that NFC championship game 49ers Packers 
49ers won 37-20, but I don't know about you guys. Obviously, the game was not a – I mean, 37-20 isn't a super close game, but it was more wide open the score shows, no doubt about it. I, I think we all are going to agree on this. The running game from the Niners just absolutely dominated this game. And was I mean obviously for for me that was the whole game in particular. What other noted what what else did you guys notice from this game? I mean yeah, definitely the running game stands out to me, and just the the domination from the 49ers on both sides of the football. We see they have a great defense, the number one defense in the league, and then uh, on offense too, they can run it. I mean, they may have one of the best rushing attacks we've seen in a while. Just, I mean, 220 yards and four touchdowns from Mostert alone. They got almost 300 rushing t- rushing yards total, and they won a, an, an NFC Championship game only throwing eight passes. Like, that's a dangerous team right there. And then also, that's considering Jimmy Garoppolo is a quarterback. He, he's a very good quarterback, so even if the run game doesn't get going, they can still beat you with the pass, and that's what makes them so dangerous. And then that defense, three sacks two interceptions on Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is not a quarterback that looks uncomfortable very often, but for most of the game and really for pretty much all the first half, he just looked uncomfortable out there. And, I mean, that's what allowed them to get to a 27 nothing lead. Yeah, I agree. Aaron Rodgers does not normally look um, uncomfortable. Definitely, like, during a playoff game. I mean, he is a very poised quarterback, and I expected a lot more especially after they got embarrassed earlier in the season against San Francisco. But this just brings up my concerns with Patrick Mahomes. Obviously, he's a great quarterback. He's a little bit more mobile than Aaron Rodgers, so it's not that concerning, but it is more concerning than what he just faced in Tennessee. Um, For me, it was the 20-point second quarter for San Francisco that aided them to a 27-point lead. Um, After that, there's no really recovery for um, the Packers, especially the way that San Francisco was running the ball and dominating the time of possession. Um, But the defense is playing the best that it's been all year, and the offense is running the ball the best that it's been. And as you noted, Harrison, I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo only had to throw the ball eight times, but if he has to throw the ball in volume, then he could get it done if he needed to. So this team is very, very scary right now. And I'm really excited to see how they perform against the Chiefs. I agree. I mean, Harrison, you mentioned that Aaron Rodgers looked really uncomfortable most of the game. That's true. I mean, really, he didn't look comfortable until the fourth quarter where he he had no choice but to air it out. And he made – I mean, he played well for the most part during the fourth quarter. I think the thing that screams out to everyone besides the rushing attack, and this goes along with the rushing attack, is Jimmy Garoppolo only threw eight passes. I mean, in the biggest game of his life so far, he went six of eight for 77 yards. I mean, I'm not saying that's a bad stat line because it barely is a stat line. Like, you can't judge him off that. Um, but absolutely, that Niners defense is insane. Um, we There was the post-game um, internet scuffle between Richard Sherman and and Jarrell Revis, which brings up a very interesting uh, question for me with Tyreek Hill against his own defense. I, I think the biggest thing we'll see in the Super Bowl, and I ended up turning this game off. Ironically, this is the game I wanted to watch. I ended up turning it off, and the other one I wasn't going to watch, and I ended up watching most of it, is can pretty much, I mean, is Tyreek Hill going to find those holes? in the zone defense before the pressure gets to Patrick Mahomes. Because this is one of the best defenses, and they showed it this week. They show it every week. This Niners team, I I feel like every time I watch this Niners team, there's something different that impresses me on both sides. I mean, the offense and the defense is just – it's unbelievable. And um, they're going to have pretty much a fully healthy team. Both of these teams going to the Super Bowl are pretty young, not much experience. I mean – there's a lot of interesting headlines, and let's just start previewing the Super Bowl. I mean, we will not have a podcast next week because we're off for fake break. But, I mean, some of the headlines include Kyle Shanahan in his first Super Bowl since blowing the 25-point lead as the offensive coordinator with the Falcons. Andy Reid's first Super Bowl since, like, 2005 when he was with the Eagles. I mean, both coaches have some Super Bowl experience, but that's about as far as it goes. What are your like? What are your keys to success and things you're gonna look for in the Super Bowl? Well, I think the most fun part about this game is gonna be watching Patrick Mahomes in this offense going against the 49ers defense because <laughs> we have the number one scoring defense in the NFL, the number one scoring offense in the NFL, and I so I was actually looking up 
the times in the past that this has been the matchup in the Super Bowl. And all but once, the team with the number one defense has won. The only time that the offense won was a Jerry Rice and Joe Montana 49ers team dominating the Broncos. They put up 55 points. And I think that, I mean, I don't know a lot about that team because I, I never was able to watch them, but that seems to me the team that's most comparable to this Chiefs team, which I think is the reason that they're going to have a, a good chance to win this game. But I, I think that's definitely going to be one of the more interesting aspects of this game, especially in all the talk leading up to the, the big game. So for me, it's going to be the defense of the 49ers is the key. Um, I, you could argue that this is the best defense that Patrick Mahomes has ever faced, and it, it is a fact that it is the best front four that he's ever faced. Easily, yeah. So they're going to trouble him. They're going to get to him without blitzing. Their zone schemes, as you mentioned earlier, are incredible. Um, what they do in terms of confusing quarterbacks and um, putting guys in places that they seem out of position, but they're really just covering a different zone than you would expect. And Patrick Mahomes is a very smart quarterback. Doesn't normally get confused, but I could see him getting confused once or twice in this game, which is not like him. Um, so that's going to be my key is how Patrick Mahomes adapts in games because he does have the green light. He has free reign. Andy Reid trusts him to change the play, the line of scrimmage, and really just control the game, get out of the pocket, do his own thing. Um, but against this 49ers defense where there's only four guys rushing and the rest are out in coverage, um, he does have some phenomenal receivers that will help him, but it's going to be very interesting to see how he adjusts against this defense. And um, it's just two, like you mentioned, the top, number one scoring and the number one defense. It's just a blockbuster matchup. My One of the things I keep on thinking about is – I mean, we talked this week about the Chiefs having to stop Derrick Henry. Well, they have another running back that just they're going to face that's coming off a 200-yard game. I mean, can they stop the running game again? Because that will be huge. I think I think inexperience will be huge for the Niners because I feel like the one thing the Chiefs do have, even though I, they've never been to the Super Bowl, they were in the AFC Championship last year too. So And they have more, I feel like, big, big – they've played more big games than the Niners have. And so – if they can stop that running game with the Niners and make them make them pass more, I feel like that could be huge for them. Just because, I I mean I feel like I I just I feel like they stopped the run this past week. Can they do it again? Because if they can't, I don't think they really have a chance to win. And then the other thing I think, and these two kind of go together because they definitely I feel like don't have a chance to win if they get down 10-0 plus again. They've been down ten plus points the last two weeks. But this week, they're going up against, I mean, the best defense in the NFL this year. I mean, I saw a stat the other day that top two defenses and the top three top three defenses in the league, if they make it to the Super Bowl, are 15 and 5. So, obviously, this everything from history shows that the Niners have the advantage. But I feel like, for some reason, the Chiefs still have the advantage in this game just because they have more big, big game weapons, I feel like. I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo has a bigger arm. I mean, not Jimmy Garoppolo. Patrick Mahomes has a bigger arm. Tyreek Hill is the fastest receiver out there. The only place where they're not as strong is, well, I mean, it's all over the defense, honestly. But I feel like I feel like with Patrick, if Patrick Mahomes can make these big plays and they can right off the gate too, because as I've mentioned, like if they get down, the Niners defense is just going to have a day with them. They're going to know what's happening because Patrick Mahomes is going to have no choice but to pass. I mean, he's going to really have no choice but to pass, in my opinion, no matter what. But they they need him to have a big game. And I'll be interested – I guess I'll be interested what out of the Chiefs defense versus the Niners offense, who stands out more. Is it the running game or the passing game of the Niners, or is it someone on the defense of the Chiefs? I think that could be really the X factor this game is who on that side can like control something about this game make a game-changing play because we all we're all looking at what's going to happen when Patrick Mahomes is facing that Chiefs defense but we got to think about I mean really that means the game changer is probably going to have to come from when the Niners are on offense and who do you think out of that between the Chiefs defense and the Niners offense can be the x factor of this game and really change it and give their team a much better opportunity to win uh, well, I mean, I think on the Chiefs' offense, it might be Sammy Watkins, just because we saw last game how good he was. He had uh, 
he had, I think, seven catches for over 130 yards. He also had that big touchdown. So if he's able to get going and you have him, Tyreek Hill, and Travis Kelsey, those are three tremendous receiving options. If you're able to get – if Sammy Watkins has a big game, that's when this offense is at its best because that's when just everything is clicking. Yeah, he had his – I would say he had his best game as a Chief this past weekend. I mean, you're right, seven catches, 114 yards, and a touchdown. He – he, he played up to his expectations that we had of him outside of college, and he really did impress me. I think I think that's out, honestly. I sometimes forget about him even being on the Chiefs right now, but I that's great. Like He's honestly a great wide receiver and could be a game-changer for the Chiefs because they're going to be focused on Tyreek Hill. He's the fastest guy out there. Yeah, um, I, I'll really be paying attention to uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, and as we mentioned earlier, he completed six passes in his last game. Obviously, he didn't need to complete more, and they didn't ask for him to do much, but I think he's going to be asked to do a lot more this game. The Chiefs are going to focus in on the run after what happened to Green Bay, and they know that that's their focus, that San Francisco's focus is the run. So I think Kansas City's going to aim to take that away, um, and I think Jimmy Garoppolo is going to have to do more. I think he's capable of doing more, and I think he will reach that and he, he'll probably come down to one of the final final or second to final drive where Jimmy it's the ball's in Jimmy Garoppolo's hands and he's got to make a few throws and if he can make those throws then I think the 49ers will win this game but um I think this game comes down to Jimmy Garoppolo and how he performs because Patrick Mahomes is going to get his points and no matter how the defense plays of the Niners he's going to put points up on the board and figure out a way to score but as long as Jimmy Garoppolo also puts points on the board, then it'll be a very good game. Yeah, and also just on that point, I completely agree because, as you said, Garoppolo only eight passes last game, and then even against the Vikings, only 19 attempts, 11 completions. So we've never really seen him have to show out big in a in a playoff game. I mean, these were his only two playoff games he's played in, so it's going to be inter- interesting to see if on this big stage he can make the big throws that he'll have to make presumably in, in the third and fourth quarter when, when it means the most in the game. I, I agree with that. Jimmy Garoppolo, I think, definitely will have to show out this game. But for me, I'm looking at that Chiefs defense and Tyron Matthew, especially because I just something about Tyron Matthew screams big game, big play to me. I feel like he is bound to make some sort of play. He's either going to have a huge hit, force a fumble, get a pick, something. And I feel like that could be happening at a key moment and could really change what comes out of this game. So I'll be watching him. He's one of my favorite defensive players to watch in all fairness. But I think I think if that I, I wouldn't just say him, but the whole secondary for the Chiefs, if they can pick off Garoppolo, even if it's just once, maybe set up the Chiefs for a a shorter drive where they can at least rely on at worst we're getting three points out of this drive or I mean obviously they get hopefully they get more than one pick for the, for their sake if they can really get in Jimmy Garoppolo's head pick him off a few times I feel like that I mean it, it they could kill I feel like it's more likely that they kill the 49ers offensive hopes than the Niners kill the Chiefs offensive hopes this game so finally wrap it up what are your guys' score predictions for this game um well first I just want to say that we were we were doing this podcast in November, and uh, we were talking about the teams we thought that would be in the Super Bowl, and we were saying the teams in the AFC, and both of you said you thought it would be only the Patriots and the Niners, and I brought up the Chiefs, and both of you guys <laughs> kind of dismissed me a little bit, so I just want to say that. And then also, on the NFC side, we were talking about NFC teams, and you both said you thought the 49ers were too young to make it this year, but in the future they would, and I said, I still think they have a chance this year, so I just wanted to toot my own horn there and and give myself credit but I think for this game like like I was talking about earlier the defensive teams in these number one defense number one offense matchups have been successful and I mean I know Patrick Mahomes and this Chiefs offense is amazing but I'm gonna go with the 49ers here I think that they're gonna not allow Mahomes to get those big off script plays that he's used to or at least as many as we've seen from him and I think they're gonna be able to get get him in the pocket and and sack him a little bit so I'm going to go in a really close one and maybe on a last-second field goal or something, 49ers 27-24. and 24. Obviously, I don't like betting against Patrick Mahomes because he's such a great quarterback, um, but I think the 49ers have a much better team, a much more complete team. 
Um, I think that it'll be a very close game, as Harrison mentioned, and it'll come down to the wire. I don't know if it'll be a last-second field goal. I think that the 49ers will um, run the ball enough to extend it to a two-score two game, and um, Patrick Mahomes will have some magic near the end to bring it within a score, but it won't be a um, game-winning um, field goal or touchdown because I feel like the 49ers will keep their distance throughout the game by constantly scoring and constantly keeping the ball on the ground. Um, and I think Jimmy Garoppolo will be able to make some of those plays and will display um, why they traded for him back in a few years ago and why they invested so much in Jimmy Garoppolo. So I'm taking the 49ers 34-27. to 27. You know, that's interesting because Jimmy Garoppolo did get that big contract. And I don't say – I wouldn't say he hasn't earned it, but he also – like, he's not done anything to earn it. He hasn't done anything to prove that he's not worth it yet. So this will be a key game for him. And to defend my comments in November, in all fairness, the NFL landscape has changed a lot over these past months. I mean, at that time, Patrick Mahomes wasn't fully healthy. But I, I got to say, I, I mean – I was stupid to count out the Chiefs. And also, I think if the Seahawks were healthy, they're in the Super Bowl right now. But they just had no running game. They Everything got killed for them at the end of the year. But, I, I mean, the Niners have been phenomenal. I don't know who I think will win this game. I think it's bound to be close. Right now, um, I, I think I'm going to lean towards the Chiefs. I think because their defense did just have one of the best games we've seen out of them, I think... I mean, Frank Frank Clark did say they have the best defense in the world right now, and I don't believe it, but I think they're playing like they're one of the best defenses, and I think they're going to show that again, and I think that's going to be enough to win the, them this game. I'm worried we're going to see a Super Bowl similar to last year where we expected some high-scoring offensive Super Bowl, and we're not going to get it. I'm going to go a low-scoring Chiefs win of 17-15 to 15. Chiefs win. Heck, maybe we'll see an overtime game even this week. I think it's gonna be. Okay. I, I think it's gonna be a good game. Yeah. Either but, way, either way, we're getting a phenomenal game. In but my opinion. I think some people like last year are gonna say it wasn't a good game just because I I think we're gonna expect so much offense and then we're gonna see the defenses do what they can do. So I'm definitely excited, but I don't know that we're gonna see some crazy offensive explosion from either team. Okay. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Uh, we'll be back in two weeks uh, with another podcast. Thank you.